Nehemiah 6, verses 1 through 9. Okay. Okay. Now, when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at the time I had not set up the doors in the gates. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, come, let us meet together at Seraphim on the plain of, oh no, I love that, the plain of, oh no, but they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I, should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? They sent messengers to me four times in this manner and I answered them in the same way. Then Sambalot sent his servant to me in the same manner in the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations and that Geshum said that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall and you are to be their king according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. Now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now we've been studying the book of Nehemiah together and now we're moving into chapter 6. Chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6 really are all dealing with spiritual warfare. And we saw in chapter 4 there were enemies from outside the camp of Israel who were attacking in. Nehemiah and the people resisted and they kept on with rebuilding the walls. Chapter 5, which we talked about last week, you saw the enemy within the camp. God's own people were persecuting God's own people. And they, they literally, it got as bad as they actually put children to slavery. But Nehemiah, he called them to account. He called them to repent and fear the living God. And they did. They repented and the work began again. This morning we're in chapter 6 and we'll see another series of attacks. But the difference here is that the, the attack is coming directly to Nehemiah himself. If the enemy of our soul, the devil, can get a spiritual leader out of the way, it impacts more than just him and his life. It impacts all those who he is leader over. And that's what we'll see today. The enemy will attack Nehemiah directly. But we'll see that Nehemiah will fight and resist this attack through discernment and faith. So, how does the enemy influence us to sin, and how should we resist? How does the enemy influence us to sin, and how should we resist? First thing, the enemy wants us to compromise our integrity, but we must fight by honoring our commitments. The enemy wants us to compromise. That is his goal. 
He wants us to do something, say something that will bring shame on the name of God. Look at verses 1 through 4. It says, Now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained in it, although at the time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in Shephrim on the plain of Ono. But they were, not plan- but they were planning to harm me. And so I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. The reality of our Christian faith, our Christian witness, it rests on the foundation of your trust in Christ and your integrity to honor that trust. So let me ask you a question right up front. Does your life match your words? Does your life match what you preach? Does does my life match what I preach? When people see the way you live, do do they see Christ in you? Or is it only in the circle where you're with God's people? Because what the enemy wants to do is he wants us to, to go against, compromise our integrity, con, con, compromise who we are before the Lord. Let me give you a definition of compromise. Someone who goes against their convictions, their beliefs, they do something which damages a reputation for honesty, loyalty, or high moral values. And when God's people compromise, when we act the way those that do not believe act, Those that don't know Christ, they look at that and they shake their head and they say, see, there's no power. There's nothing to that Christianity. They're no different than us. So let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But if we live with boldness for Christ and we stand for what we believe, it makes a difference. Today's message is going to help us to understand Satan's tactics. And looking at Nehemiah, it's helpful to understand that there's always a spiritual battle behind the scenes. And there is an enemy that is a powerful foe, but we have a God who's much more powerful. And we can stand and fight in His strength. But we must not be naive. The enemy wants to harm us. That is his goal. He wants us to fall. And Satan has three goals for God's people. Number one, Satan wants to steal the eternal significance of your life. He wants you to get so wrapped up in the stuff going on today that you can no longer even believe that God is on the throne. He wants you to get so wrapped up in the stuff and the minutiae of life that you pull back and stop being bold for Christ. Second, Satan's ultimate goal is to kill you, but he cannot do that without God's permission. So instead, he wants to make your life miserable. He wants you to believe that there is no hope. He wants you not to believe the gospel, what we celebrate this morning. He wants you to be hopeless. Third thing, the enemy wants to destroy your relationships. He loves it when Christian marriages disintegrate. He loves it when there is division in the church And even more, he loves it when you're part of that division. That's the enemy's plan. But the Bible teaches 
for those of us that love and know Jesus Christ, that He's actually a toothless lion. 1 Peter 5, 9 says that we can resist Him, stand firm in the faith, and He will flee from us. Now, if you know and love Jesus Christ, then you are adopted by the King. You have a right relationship with God. You're adopted into the family of God. And we have the strength and the ability through the work of the Holy Spirit and standing on His truth to fight and resist the enemy. But the enemy's goal is to have us fall, and particularly the enemy likes to attack leaders, spiritual leaders and leaders in the church. And we see this here with Nehemiah. This attack is going to be focused on him. Now, Nehemiah, he's a strong and capable leader, and he's done a great job of resisting the enemy's attacks. And the enemy is getting frustrated. Under Nehemiah's gifted leadership, the, the people have just about rebuilt all the walls. As a matter of fact, the wall is built all the way around. The only thing left to do is to hang the gates. Then he can start focusing on the people within the walls, strengthening them. And since Sanballat and his friends had failed stopping the people from working, now they're going to shift their attack and they're going to focus on the leader, Nehemiah. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at times I had not set up the doors in the gates, then Sanballat Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Sharim in the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. Strong leadership, and particularly spiritual leadership, requires that the person who's leading has a strong sense of integrity, that they're a, a man or a woman of commitment, and their word is their bond. And the enemy wants them to compromise that integrity. The enemy wants them to fall. And there are two main attacks that Satan uses. First, he comes as a serpent who deceives. He does it just like he did with Eve in the garden. And we see Paul the Apostle, he warned the believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11.3. He says, but I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Paul was concerned because Satan, he, he sneaks in by stealth. And sometimes people come in with maybe a new idea or maybe a new theological thought and, and it's kind of wow and, and we look at it and it has just a little bit of truth but within that truth, it's stuffed with a lie. So he can cause God's people to fall. He deceives. He deceives people with lies. Second attack, he wants to use fear. He comes on like a lion that, that would devour you. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober of spirit, be on alert your adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring liar, lion seeking someone to devour. And devour means to, to swallow up. But spiritual leaders understand that the devil has nothing on us because we're in Christ. And he that is in us is so much more powerful than he that's in the world. And so a spiritual leader understands that we need to have discernment and to fight and to stand against him. Now again, Sanballat and his friends, they, they want to get control of Jerusalem. Look at verse 2 again. It says, Sanballat and Geshem, they sent a message to me. And they said, come, let us meet together at Shepherim and the plain of Ono. 
See, Satan understands if he can get in, if he can somehow develop this relationship with Sambalat and his friends, and, and maybe they can influence Nehemiah, maybe they can get him to do something or say something that would ruin his integrity, then they can worm their way into the city and they can gain control. Understand the timing of this is interesting. It's very significant because Nehemiah at this point is at the top of his game. He's governor of the city. Basically, the walls are all built. All he has to do is hang the gates. And it's oftentimes at the pinnacle of success is when the enemy likes to come in because your guard is down. Everything's going good, looking good. This is when they send the notes. They haven't been able to get to him before. Now they're going to try a new tactic. And sometimes it's at that point of success when we drop our guard. And you see this throughout the Bible. Think about David with me, right? David was at the pinnacle of success. He had success militarily. He had success personally, politically. He was on the top. And it was spring. And he decides, I think I'm going to hang back. That's when kings normally go to battle and need their troops. Now, I'm going to rest a while. I need some rest. Things are going good. What do you do? We all know the story. He walks on the roof in the cool of the evening. He sees Bathsheba bathing on her roof. He compromises his integrity. He feeds his lust. That look turned, turned into a leer, and he fell. Think about me about Joseph. He was tempted by Potiphar's wife. When did that happen? After he was granted the run of the house. Finally, he had been a prisoner, but now he has total run of the house. When does the enemy strike? Right there. But he resisted, and he did not compromise. And sometimes the most dangerous time for a leader, or any of us, is when things are going really good. And this is what's happening with Nehemiah. They want to somehow get in. They want to influence Nehemiah. Look at verse 2 again. Sambalat and Gesem sent a message to me saying, come and meet us at Sephram in the plain of Ono. Now, the plain of Ono is about 20 miles above Jerusalem. It's a beautiful place. It's the kind of place you'd want to take a vacation, a kind of place you'd want to go and rest. And that's basically what they're telling them. Hey, just come and join us for a while. Take a break. You've been working so hard. The work's almost done. We know you've got to hang those gates. Don't worry about that. Come and rest with us. But Nehemiah, he's a man of God. And he's a prayerful man. And God has given him godly discernment. Chuck Swindoll says discernment allows you to read between the lines. So Nehemiah, he sees that invitation and he senses that there's trouble. So, so he holds back. And when he says, when they ask him to come to oh no, he says, oh no, to oh no. <laughs> right? Okay. Verse 3, I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down? Now Nehemiah says, hey, I'm doing a great work. That's not pride, by the way. Anytime you work or do anything for the Lord, it is a great work. And he says, I'm serving the Lord. And, and a good leader, he knows when to say no. And he doesn't have to explain himself why he says no. Godly discernment, sometimes you need to say no to some things and yes to other things. But these guys were tenacious. So look at verse 4. They sent message to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. They sent message after message after message after message, and each time he says no, 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 no. You know, in my daily devotions during the week, I've been in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles is really kind of an expose of the kings of Judah. And what kind of astounded me is almost every king started out strong, 
but finished poorly. But the one that really got to me, and I just read it this week, it was Joash. Now, Joash's father, his name is Ahaziah, and he had forsaken the Lord and did evil, and Ahaziah's mother, Atalah, tried to kill the whole royal line. But Joash's, the king's sister actually took Joash when he was just a baby and hid him. And she hid him for seven years, and there was a, a priest by the name of Jehoiada. And Jehoiada was a godly man. And when Joash was seven years old, he established Joash as the king. And as long as Jehoiada was alive, Joash did everything right with the Lord, faithful. They rebuilt the temple. They got rid of all the idols in the land. Faithful, faithful, faithful. And for many years, there was peace in Jerusalem. But as soon as Jehoiada died, other leaders within Jerusalem came and started to influence Joash. And Joash followed after them and started to worship false gods. Same thing is happening here with Nehemiah. They're trying to get in. They want to influence him. They want to pull him away from the true and living God to dishonor God and to compromise. Now, the enemies of God tried to get Nehemiah to compromise, but he rejected their offer because of three convictions. The first conviction, he discerned that they were lying and they wanted to harm him. And guys, this is just called spiritual discernment. Nehemiah is a prayer warrior. He seeks the Lord in his word. He seeks the Lord in prayer. And the Lord revealed it to him through the work of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual discernment. Second conviction was he was convinced of the greatness of God and the greatness of the work that God had called him to do. Nehemiah understands that he had a commitment that God had called him to this work and to complete the work. And when God calls you to something, He wants us to complete the work. And so He's going to be faithful to obey all the way to the end. Warren Worsby says, a leaderless project is an aimless project and eventually falls apart. Leaders must be good examples to stay on the job. And Nehemiah understood his commitment. He could not quit. He must take it all the way to the end. And that's what they want him to do. They want him to leave before it's complete. The gates aren't hung yet but they want to get him out of there. Third conviction, the Jews had nothing in common with Sanballat and the crowd. Sanballat is a Samaritan. Tobiah is an Ammonite. Geshem is an Arab. They have nothing in common with the, with the Jews. And sometimes we need to be very careful here. Now, God has called us to reach out into a lost and dying world, hasn't He? And He's called us to have relationships with those that don't know Christ but the level of the relationship is important. Be careful. He doesn't want you to have an intimate relationship with an unbeliever. He doesn't want you to have a, a friendship that's so close where they influence you away from the true and living God. Now, Nehemiah had already told them that they had no portion with him in Nehemiah 2.20. He said, so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion right or memorial in Jerusalem. Sometimes, though, we can have a relationship with somebody that doesn't know God, and, and they might have a strong personality, or they, they might be such a close friend or an intimate friend that they actually can pull us away from God. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever. If Nehemiah had cooperated with Sambalat and his allies, 
They very easily could have harmed him, but they also might have pulled him away from the very work that God had called him to do. I read an interesting story this week. It's written by a pastor. His name is Dave Goetz. And he was talking about where his wife's integrity was challenged. Now, his wife was, was an experienced nurse, and, and she had recently switched jobs. And she got to go work for, again, two doctors that she had worked for previously. She said it was like coming home, coming back to a family. And her first evening in the clinic, a young mother came in with an 18-month-old son, and, and he needed his final shot for routine immunization. And his mother also came in for a physical. And they were new patients to the clinic. And so Jana, she gave the boy his shot, and, and then the mother took the boy back to the waiting room to his sister and grandmother. And then Jana, she went to record the vaccination on the boy's chart, and when she pulled out the vial, she realized she gave him the wrong vaccination. And then she looked and she realized the vaccination that she gave him was one he had had months earlier already. But what she went through internally is what I want you to see. But she kind of had a battle happening within her own heart and within her mind. She said to herself, no one will ever know. I mean, no harm was done. I can't tell the doctor. I mean, this is my first day on the job. And the doctor is going to think that I'm incompetent. Now, it can't hurt that boy, can it? And it doesn't hurt to be immunized twice for the same thing, does it? Oh, yeah, he still needs the right vaccine. And what am I going to tell the mother? And then she had a very important thought. She says, but I will know, and God will know. And she said, i got to tell the doctor. And so she stood outside the room as the mother was, was getting her her um, physical, and she's waiting, and finally the doctor came out, and she ran up to and said, look, I made a big mistake. I gave him the same vaccination he had months ago, and the doctor went, whoa. And then he thought for a while, and he said, wait a minute, it's okay. The child's immune to that. It's all right, not a big deal. I'll tell the mother, and we'll reschedule another appointment. She kept her integrity. She did not compromise. She did what was right. And the reason I wanted you to hear that story is because so often... When we think about serving the Lord or, or, or not compromising, sometimes we think about serving God as the big thing, right? I'm going to be a missionary or I'm going to do a great thing for God. But can I tell you something? The battles often fought in the little things. It's those day-to-day decisions that we make where we decide to do what is right, where we make decisions for Christ over even something that may benefit us. Nehemiah was that man. He did what was right. He did not compromise. First thing we see, the enemy wants God's people to compromise our integrity, but we must fight by honoring our commitments. Second thing, the enemy will slander God's people with lies, but we must trust in God's truth. The enemy lies. He is the father of lies. And he loves slander, gossip, and rumors. That's his game. And he wants to hurt God's people with words. You know, the whole thing, sticks and stones may hurt your bones, but words can never hurt you. They hurt. And sometimes they do great damage within the church. Look at verses 5 through 9. It says, And Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. And you are to be their king according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. 
and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you were saying have not been done, but you were inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged and the work will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So what Sanballat does is he sent one, two, three, four letters. Those didn't work. So now he sends a fifth letter. And this is a letter that is accusing Nehemiah, but it's called an, an open letter. Now, an open letter means it's open to everyone to read. That means the word is going to spread. What is that? Rumors, gossip, right here, slander. Now, this is not a new attack. The enemy had already been saying these things about Nehemiah. We know this from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. It says, But when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Well, they were just saying it, but now they put it in writing. And they want everybody to know it's in writing. And they also want everybody to know the king is going to hear about this. Now, slander is common. And oftentimes, God's people are slandered, and you see it throughout the Scripture. Our own Lord Jesus was slandered. Listen to this. This is what uh, the enemies of Him, the Jewish leaders, said to Pilate in Luke 23, verses 1 through 5. It says, And the whole body of them got up and brought Him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And so Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, and he said, It is as you say. And then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as the palace. And in that time, if you're promoting yourself as king, particularly a Persian king, they're complete monarchs. Man, they do not stand for that off with your head immediately. Warren Wiersbe said this about the commentary about this open letter. I want you to understand what that is. He said, it's interesting to see how often the enemy use letters in their attacks against the work. An open letter, a royal governor, would be both intimidating and insulting. Letters to officials were rolled up and secured with seals, so that only those with authority could open and read them. But Sanballat wanted the public to know the contents of the letter because he hoped to undermine Nehemiah's reputation and his authority. So this is a tactic to gain control. And what we're dealing with here is a rumor. It's, it's gossip. It's, it's not true, but they want it to be perceived as truth. Why? Because they want them to fall. They, they want to make sure they stop the rebuilding of the walls. They do not want those gates hung. And the enemy, this is his game. He loves it. He loves to stir up gossip. He loves to, to cause rumors. He loves itching ears. He loves it when people say, what did you hear? And, and, and what's going on? And, and have you heard what I heard? And, and ooh, man, that, that's what he loves. He's in it. Now, Paul the Apostle is concerned about that, but also the writers of Proverbs. Let me read you Proverbs 20.19. Proverbs 20.19 says, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets... Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. And Paul the Apostle said this to the Corinthian church. He was concerned for them. 2 Corinthians 12.20 says, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and may be found by you 
to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry timbers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, and disturbances. And so often, slander, rumors, gossip, it's pointed at a godly leader because if they can get that godly leader down and out of the way, it impacts everybody who's under him. Chuck Swindoll said this about a rumor. He says, a rumor is noted for its exaggeration and inaccuracy. A rumor spreads in an exaggerated fashion. The gullible listeners and gossips feed on that kind of garbage. They pass it from one mouth to the next ear, and by the time it comes to you, it's grossly inaccurate. And the people here, they, they, they want to spread these rumors so that people will be stirred up and, and maybe they might even be able to work their way in. If they can cause a division, then maybe they can get a coup and, and overtake Nehemiah and get control of Jerusalem. But I got to tell you, be careful. God hates gossips. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. So the enemy is using slander here. Look at verses 6 and 7. It was written, it's reported among the nation, and Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you're rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king according to these reports. You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to all these reports. So now let us take counsel together. Yeah, we're going to help you out, Nehemiah. By the way, Gashmu is, a, is another way to say Geshem, same person. He's an enemy, he's Sambalat's friend, and, and they're against Nehemiah. And what they're hoping to do is it's not really a, a way to help him. They're hoping he'll come out and meet them. Probably they're going to harm him or hurt him or, or kill him. By the way, they probably already sent this letter to the king as well. That's a warning, that's a threat when they said that. So what does a godly leader do? I mean, how do we fight slander and gossip and rumors? Let's look and see what Nehemiah did. Look at verse 8. Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you were saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. We'll see three things. Nehemiah's response to slander. First, in verse 8, Nehemiah calmly denied the charge. He said, Such things as you were saying have not been done. He's saying, What you guys are saying right now, it's an absolute lie. I deny it. I do not agree with it. So he's letting everybody know up front, not true, first thing. Second thing, verse 8, he puts the blame where it belongs. He says, but you are inventing them in your own mind. There's no reality here. It's just an invention of your mind. You guys are saying it's true, but I'm telling you, it's not true. Third thing, he brings his frustration to God in prayer. I would say that's the main thing. Look at verse 9. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Bottom line, slander and gossip, it hurts people. Rumors, when they're started and they're incorrect information, it can cause literally whole ministries to crumble. And each of us, at one time or another, may experience a rumor or gossip or slander. It's interesting, just this past week, a rumor got started about me. No kidding. I got called by a leader, and he called me and said, can I come and talk to you? And I said, sure. And he said, somebody has come to me and told me that you don't believe in six-day creation. And I'm like, what? 
of course I believe in six-day creation. I think the six-day creation is vital for the gospel. I mean, the God of all eternity out of nothing spoke and everything was created in six literal 24-hour days. And it shows the very care and concern that He has for His creation as well as His care and concern for us because we are made in His image. Absolutely, I believe in the gospel account, in the creation account, in Genesis. He's like, oh, okay, no problem. Here's the problem. The person that thought he heard me say something like that didn't come to me and didn't ask me what I believe. Instead, went to somebody else who had to come to me. What is it? That's a rumor. That's gossip. And if it's not taken care of, it can be stirred up and, and it can be spreading out. And did you know that Pastor Rob doesn't believe in the six-day creation? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Those kind of things happen all the time in a church setting, and we need to be careful because slander and gossip is the major reason for disunity within the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, God gets very angry with it, and He's against it, and we're commanded not to do it. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, "'Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, but instead be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you.'" I love what Will Rogers said. He says, live so that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to a town gossip. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I came across a really interesting story about rumors. Now, I don't know if you were alive in 1973, but in 1973, there were a lot of shortages that were happening. There was a, a major stock market crash. It lost 45% in just a few days, and there were shortages of oil and gasoline and electricity and even onions. And the U.S. kind of spiraled into a period of economic stagnation. But then, believe it or not, right in the midst of this economic turmoil, there was a scare that people were going to run out of toilet paper. True. It started with unsubstantiated rumors. It started in November of 1973 with news agency reportage that a shortage was happening in Japan. And then a U.S. congressman, he issued a press release. This is what he said. He said, the U.S. may face a serious shortage of toilet paper within a few months. A toilet paper shortage is no laughing matter, he said. It is a problem that will potentially touch every American. And then it went wild. And then Johnny Carson heard about it. And then he shares it on The Tonight Show. And then millions of people heard about it. And guess what? They raided supermarkets. Matter of fact, for four months, there was a shortage on toilet paper, it even started to be sold on the black market. But then all of a sudden, people realized that it wasn't true, that it was a story. It was a rumor. That's what happens when rumors spread. It's not true. But we as God's people are never to do that, are we? I want to leave you with an application in just the final few moments. So how do we fight how do we fight compromise? How do we fight slander? Guys, we need to be people of conviction. We need to be people of conviction. Nehemiah was a man of conviction. Now, a conviction is determined by belief. A belief is what you hold, but a conviction is what holds you. Now, Paul the Apostle believed that to be a person of conviction, there was only really two options for people. You could either be like the world 
Or you could have your mind changed, transformed by the Word of God. This is what Paul the Apostle says in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And if you want to be a person of conviction and be able to stand the attacks of, of slander, be able to stand the attacks of rumors, be able to, to not compromise your walk, then you need to be a person of conviction. It's interesting, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says almost exactly the same thing, but a little differently. Let me read that to you. He gives us a prescription on how to be a person of conviction. Psalm 1 1 through 3 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor seat in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. So you can be influenced by the world, or you can be influenced by the Word of God. If you're influenced by the world, basically the psalmist is saying you don't want to do that. You don't want to take counsel with the wicked. You don't want to mingle with sinners. You don't want to hang out with scoffers. Instead, prescription is what's going to impact your attitude. And a person of conviction is a person who delights in God's Word. A person of conviction is a person who meditates on the Word of God. And when you do that, it will transform you and I'll make you a man or woman of conviction. And you'll be like a tree that is deeply planted with deep roots by water. And you'll yield spiritual fruit in its season. And what you do for the Lord will prosper. Nehemiah was that man. And you and I are called to be that man or woman. He did not take counsel with the wicked. But his delight was in the law of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, these have been a series of serious messages, Lord. And we see the truth in them, Father. We know that we have an enemy that wants to harm us. But we know that we can stand in you. And we know that we can stand on the truth of your word. And so help us, Father. Help us to be, to be people of integrity, to be people of our word. Help us to honor Christ in both word and deed. We pray, Lord, that you would use us and allow us to glorify you by our actions and our deeds. Help us, Lord, to know your word. Help us to trust you and to dive deep in prayer. Help us, Lord, for you are so good. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I please have you stand? It's always amazing to me when, when you work on a message and, uh, I mean, I had no idea that somebody was going to come to me and tell me that there was a rumor. And sometimes what happens is, is that we hear things as God's people and instead of using wisdom to say, where did that come from? Is this even important for me to know? If I say this, will it hurt somebody? Instead, sometimes we say or do things that can hurt others. So I want to close us in prayer this morning that we may just take a look at our own hearts, that we may ask the Lord to protect this church, 
God wants to move forward the gospel, doesn't He? And He wants to use us for that purpose. Let's pray that He would do that. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. and Lord, we pray for Your constant protection against the enemy of our soul. His desire is that we would fall. His desire is to, to use all kinds of means to, to perhaps make us compromise or, Lord, to have us say or do something that would dishonor you. But, Lord, you are our protector, our friend. Father, help us to think, to be transformed by the Word of God. Let us be people of God. And, Lord, may you be glorified in everything that we do as your people from this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.